All right, well, good to have you all here this morning, a little extra refreshed with an extra hour of sleep. Or maybe you just stayed up an extra hour and burned through it like immediately. I know, it kind of goes both ways. Uh, well, either way, it's good to have you here this morning. My name is Brian. Uh, if you're newer with us and look forward to looking at God's Word uh, here in the West Auditorium, for those worshiping in the East Auditorium, as well as those of you who are hanging out online, we are going to be in Mark chapter 1, if you want to turn there. And we'll also get over to Matthew chapter 4. And i got some other verses before we get to that, but if you want to kind of hang in our primary passage, you can start over in Mark chapter 1. As uh, today, we continue this series, A Rule of Life. And if you're newer to this series, newer today, what we've been talking about this idea of a rule of life, it's actually um, comes from a, a Latin phrase uh, for what we might call a lattice, like a horizontal lattice that would hang, uh, you know, a vine in a vineyard with this idea in mind that the lattice's purpose is to hold that vine up in such a way off the dirt and the, you know, the grime and the disease and the bugs of the dirt floor to allow for that vine to do what it's created to do, to create the maximum amount of fruit, giving it the space necessary to do that. And so this is this ancient idea, this idea of creating this lattice kind of illustration, this rule of life, this way of life in our lives that we kind of lift ourselves up out of the fray of the things of this world to be able to provide practices and commitments to the way in which we, <coughs> excuse me, live our lives to allow for us to stay, as it says in John 15, connected to the vine that is Jesus, allowing us to bear the maximum amount of kind of the fruit, the overflow of his Holy Spirit's work within us. And so we've been looking at that uh, specifically with this idea of spiritual practices to hang on that way of life for today, we've said. Like, how is it that what we're doing in these practices today meet us in the unique needs and demands, almost in contrast uh, to the world that we live in, uh, to kind of pull us up off the dirt and the disease and the bugs, you could say, uh, of just everyday life. And so the last couple of weeks, we've uh, established two practices. We started with scripture, that this idea that everything we do, everything is an overflow of the reality of God's word. And we recognize that when it comes to God's word, unlike other material that we read in our lives, which is for, you could say, entertainment or information, God's word is designed for transformation. And so if it's meant for a different purpose, then it suggests that we would read it in a different way. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan uh, reminded us of this sad statistic that we spend about 93% of our life in artificial environments, whether indoors or in cars, and just the power of stepping outside into the world around us, the created order, the, uh, you could say that God created in order us, for us to give credit to our creator in worship to him. And so this weekend, this practice that we want to look at going into this next week is uh, something that actually finds its roots in a message series, a sermon series that we did a little more than a year ago. It was on the books of First, Second, and Third John, and it was called Because Love. And it showed how love was this through line into everything that is the Christian life. And so if you're with us, you might remember this. You might remember uh, Pastor Wayne making fun of me, saying I did a great weatherman because I was like always talking about it like it was like a cold front coming in, like always just pointing to this thing all, all the time. Uh, but if you weren't with us, I'll give us a little uh, update on what that was and a refresh for those of us who have slept since then. And so here's the idea of this that really you could sum up the Christian life in what Jesus tells us the Christian life is about. Uh, there's a situation where Jesus is addressed and he's asked the question, hey Jesus, what is the greatest command? What is the most important command of all? To which Jesus responds to that question, to this religious leader, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that this is the first 
and greatest commandment, that the first thing that we need to do is to love God. And then he goes on to say that the second is like it, to love your neighbor, to love one another. And it's interesting that it goes on in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus explains how this plays out among us, his church, his followers. He says, a new command I give you, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so it's this idea that when the world gets a glimpse of how we can care for one another, serve one another, love one another, that when they get a glimpse of that, that they'll know and it'll be a witness of the kind of love that God has for them, the way that we love one another. But then it doesn't end there because this religious leader, he actually goes on to ask uh, what was probably gonna be a regrettable question for him to Jesus. Kind of, it says to justify himself. And he says, well, and who is my neighbor? Who is this neighbor I'm supposed to love? To which Jesus uh, wrecks his worldview and gives him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, which if you're familiar, it's a story about, yes, helping someone in need, but even more so, it was really about loving someone who's outside of your comfort zone, someone outside of you know the one another, maybe in your family or within your particular kind of religious beliefs. Something. We're gonna love people outside uh, and far from God in a way to help them discover what we wanna really talk about today, discover the love of God. And so the reason I bring this up today is really not to so much to focus on these three, but to talk about how, I guess you could say that in our, sometimes kind of our Western, American, like go get them, be all you can be, that we wanna know like what do we need to do? Like uh, we're very practical mindset. I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. And it's this idea of like, you know, I wanna know, okay, what do I, I gotta love God, I've gotta love one another, like love others, like let's go. And like that's our sometimes this understanding of the Christian faith. But the sad thing is that we skip past all too often, not what we, or excuse me, we skip past what, into what it is that we do at the mistake of absenting, if you will, what, who it is that we are in the love of God. That this is our foundation, that all these other things hang on this reality that we are loved by God. It says it this way in 1 John four nineteen that the reason that we love, love God, love one another, love others, is only because he first loved us. It's all rooted in God's love for us that we then in a healthy and right and good and helpful way can then actually love others. To illustrate this, many of you are probably familiar with the game of Jenga, um, which uh, my son reminded me, Casey, he's actually on the cameras, he yelled, he's like, that's not right. It's supposed to be three across, not four. Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, so this is generic Jenga, okay? This is not a real Jenga. I'm sorry, it's generic Jenga. But if you've played Jenga or generic Jenga, uh, you know the object of this game is to remove uh, pieces from the tower and to restack them in such a way that the tower doesn't come tumbling down. But if you have a member of your family, like I have in my family, who maybe their goal isn't to see if the tower can stand up, but to, rather than the safest piece be removed, take the riskiest piece, the one that is most likely to cause the most catastrophic amount of damage when it comes to this game of Jenga or generic Jenga. What's, I have the bag here, it's giant-sized jumbling tower. Okay, so that's, if you ever need a generic, jumbling tower is a generic version of Jenga, okay. And so this is the idea, that when it comes to our Christian faith, that if we just focus 
on all these things, building it up on what we've got to do and don't do, the do this is and the do that is. You better love God and love other people and love one another. You better get after it at the expense, at the absence of the foundation that is the love of God. Then I promise you, your faith, eventually, it will come tumbling down. When we build this thing called the Christian faith on what it is that we do, strive, earn, do, at the absence of the foundation of what is already true in the love of God, then that is a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for striving and earning rather than entrusting and building on the reality of what already is versus what it is that we cannot accomplish on our own. You know, it's with this idea in mind that Jesus, he actually said what has become probably uh, among top five favorite verses, passages of people who follow Jesus. He, He says it this way. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And really, it's interesting, the context of this line is not just like you're worn out by just whatever. He's actually talking to people who are under the burden of religious rules and regulations of the religious leaders of the day that were piling it on. In fact, Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, uh, he says it this way. He translates it, are you tired? Are you worn out? He says, are you burned out on religion? And so this idea of like striving and doing, Jesus says, no, come to me, And I will give you rest, he says. I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which just means my way. Take my way upon you and learn from me. For I, Jesus, am gentle and humble in heart. And in me you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke, my way, is easy. It means it fits right. My burden is light. It's just right. My will, my ways are just right. When anchored in, the love and the rest, like kind of restfulness of God for your soul. And so don't misunderstand, loving God, loving uh, others, uh, loving one another, like all of that, like I'm for all of that, it's super important, it's obviously the greatest command that Jesus gave us. But that's gotta hang on and rest in the love of God for you. Now, the tricky thing with this truth is this reality that kind of like, no duh. I mean, you could be brand new to church and be like, I've seen that on billboards a thousand times. Like, I know God loves me. Like, it just feels so, like, basic. Like, it's like so elementary, this idea of God's love for us. But if I could encourage you to not miss the reality of, it's not, it's not basic that a better way of describing the love of God is really, as we said, it's foundational. It's not basic, it's foundational. To which you might say, okay, that's just semantics. You're saying the same thing, different way. Those are synonyms, but it's really not. When you think about basics, at least for me, I'm thinking basics like, you know, that's, basics are for beginners. Basics are for, for newbies. We move past the basics. We get to graduate and move on from the basics. But foundations, we return to them again and again and again. That it's what we stand on, it's what we build on, it's what we come back to every single time. It's foundational. Because if we don't do this, loving, doing, getting after it, it is a recipe to be, you could say love without being loved in return is a recipe for wearing us out, burdens, 
burdening us, burning us out on religion, the do's and the don'ts at the missing of what we already are in the love of God. It's just I think about this idea of building on the foundations. It reminds me of uh, the story I heard about uh, NFL quarterback Peyton Manning. Back in 2011, he had to have shoulder surgery. And as a result of that surgery, uh, he says that he, he, quote, I lost my throw. Uh, like maybe in the same way that a golfer might say, I lost my swing. Like he, he said he could not feel a sense of his arm in space. Now, these, these are things that are probably pretty scary for a professional quarterback to be saying about his arm and his throw. And so what he did is he actually went back to his college football coach, to Coach David Cutliffe. He called him Coach Cut. And he went back to him. He said, Coach Cut, I need, to teach, I need you to teach me to throw again. I need you to teach me to throw again. And, and then Manny, he shares how they went like back all the way to the foundations, the foundations of how to throw a football. He said they were doing drills that you do with like a child on how to even hold a football, just being reminded that you don't hold it in your hand, you gotta like feel it in your fingers and all of these things. And what's interesting is that on that firm foundation, uh, from 2011 on, Peyton Manning went on to build and achieve records for most career passing yards, most career passing touchdowns, most passing touchdowns in a single season, most career game-winning drives, and maybe with all of that, perhaps no surprise at all, the most, most valuable player, most MVP awards of anyone in the NFL. Because he built his throw on the foundations. And so when it comes to this whole Christian life thing, like we need to feel again, we need to experience the reality, the practical implications that our life actually looks different on a Tuesday because the love of God is a part of it. And so what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, I'll tell you this, it comes all the way down it comes all the way down to a simple word of how it is that we need to be thrown again or learn to throw again. And again, it's not the basics, it's foundational. And it comes down to this idea of our identity. All of this, the foundation of God's love is rooted ultimately in how you define who you are, your identity. Okay, And so as we look at that, I wanna to look to, of course, none other than Jesus and how he establishes his identity as an example for us. And then interestingly, how even Jesus, even Jesus was tempted to forsake his very identity as the Son of God and what that has to tell us as well. So with that, we're gonna to get to our passage, Mark chapter one. Hopefully you've uh, been able to turn there, and if not, don't worry. We always have this great cheat sheet called a screen to my left and your right. Okay, Gospel of Mark. So it opens up chapter one, and uh, it starts with this guy by the name of John the Baptist. And it's not John the Baptist as in not uh, the Presbyterian, John not the Methodist. It's uh, like John, a better translation would be John the Baptizer. And so John is the baptizer, he baptizes Jesus, and then in verse 10, Mark chapter one, it says that just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Jesus' identity secured by the very voice of God the Father. A powerful reality for Jesus. But 
just as quickly as he secures his identity, it says this in the very next verse. It says that at once, the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And so these temptations, we see them expanded on and described in Matthew chapter four. So if you wanna flip over to that, uh, it it unpacks and and describes in greater length what took place in the wilderness there with the devil. Says that Jesus, uh, verse one, Matthew chapter four, says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, it says at that, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then again, a third time, one more time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and all their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, him, away from me. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now, at first read through it, these temptations, they seem to cover, you could say, three categories, three different temptations that Jesus is tempted with. He's first tempted with a a physical temptation to turn uh, the physical stones into bread to break his fast. Uh, He's tempted, secondly, by power. Uh, that he could prove his ability to throw himself off the temple and arrange to be rescued by angels, by the power that he has as the son of God. Or pride. The third one was pride. This pride temptation, recognition and fame and ultimate popularity would be given him, quote, by all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, Satan says. And what's interesting about these three temptations is that, is that while you could say like the headliner to these temptations are you know physical temptation, a power temptation, a pride temptation, that none of these are actually at the core of the temptation that Jesus was actually up against. That at the center, at the root of Jesus' temptation was only one thing. Not three things, but one thing, and that was simply his identity. It was his identity that he was tempted to forsake. Look again at Matthew chapter four. See how Satan starts each and every one of these temptations. What does he say? Before he gives him the specific temptation, he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you really are the son of God, it's his identity he goes after. At the root of these temptations was not the temptation in and of itself, but Jesus' very identity as the Son of God. And so how does this, how does Jesus' identity, how does our identity play into Jesus' identity? What does what Jesus' faced have to do with us? Well, what we see at Jesus' baptism, we see that Jesus, he hears at his baptism the voice of the Father, he is identified as God's Son, whom he loves, 
And we recognize that we too, in our confession of faith in Jesus, celebrated and marked by our baptism, we are assured that our identity, given at the sound of our Heavenly Father's voice, in his word, to us, the Bible says what? First John 4, 19, that he first loved us. That that's our identity from the voice of God. And that in turn, as children of God, as sons of God, as daughters of God, it goes on in First John and says, see, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's so interesting, in the original languages, they, when they would repeat something like that, that was like 10X emphasis, like parchment was very expensive, so to add words to say the same thing over was just a very key way in which they added extra emphasis because they couldn't italicize, bold, or underline like we can on a keyboard. And so we are, don't you forget it, you are a child of God, and just in case you forgot it since you just heard it in that sentence, be reminded that is exactly what you are. It matters a lot. It's everything. It's our identity. It is our foundation. And so that's our identity. We are, again, the love of God. But I still feel like it's the same thing over like, okay, I get it. Like, God loves me. Check. Like, I heard this. I've known this. This is I know it's supposed to be foundational, but it feels so basic. So what does it have to do, again, with the way I'm gonna live my life on a Tuesday? What does it have to do beyond just kind of this warm and fuzzy, great, God loves me feeling? I wanna give you two key reasons that the identity of the love of God in your life matters on a Tuesday and every day of the week. Two key realities that practically plays out. Number one, our identity is our first defense in actually defeating sin in our life. Our identity is our first defense in defeating sin in our lives. I remember when I first came across this idea, I was actually a high school student uh, in our, our small group uh, for youth group, and I, we were at our, our youth leader's house, and our youth leader, I remember Dave Berlin, uh, where, I don't even remember what the study was about, but right in the middle of the study, he just says, hey, and you should know that whenever you sin, that you sin because of a lack of faith. That every time you sin, you are sinning because of lack of faith. And I remember just thinking, I think he even said, I said, that's not true. Like, it, it can't be. Like, it, it can't be that simple. You can't just boil it down to that one thing, that we, we sin because of a lack of faith. But the more we discussed it, and the more I've thought about it, the more I've lived with that reality, I think it is true. Think about it practically. Like, for example, when it comes to, like, the sin of gossip or slander. Like, what is gossip or slander? Well, it comes from this insecurity that your identity in God is not enough, and thus you bolster yourself by bringing someone else down. Or what about lying? Lying as expressed maybe in exaggerating or fabricating maybe a situation or a story because ultimately what are you doing? You're trying to provide for your identity socially to look or seem or feel better in some sort of social standing or situation. Or when it comes to maybe stealing or cheating or hoarding or kind of a greed that ultimately that comes down to taking matters in your own hands to provide for yourself practically because you lack the faith that God practically provides everything that you need. I would argue that even sexual sin at its core has everything to do 
with your identity. That in sexual sin, we're saying that our relationship with God is not ultimately enough to satisfy all my physical and relational needs. And so I go to something or to someone else. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, you then know what you don't need in sin. When you know who you are in Christ and what he provides and who you are, you don't need to go looking for it anywhere else. I think it's true. I think we sin because of a lack of faith in the reality of our identity that God is enough. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that if, you, if we get this, that we're gonna like live a perfect, sinless life. Um, this is the fight that we battle, Hebrews 12. Like in your struggle against sin, don't forget, for, uh, forsake your identity as a child of God. Uh, in 1 John, it also says that, and again, this is part of our identity, that when we sin, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins in Jesus. Like, that's part of our identity in Jesus. Like, his faithfulness, his justness is not the justice that we earn to deserve. It's the one that Jesus took on our behalf on the cross. And so part of our identity and the love of God is that he gave his son for us so that we would be forgiven of our sins and purified from all unrighteousness. So it's all part of our identity, but do recognize that a foundation in the identity of God's love in you is your first line of defense against sin temptations that you face. Okay, so that's, that's the first practical reality of our identity in the love of God. And the second one is this. The second re- reason that our identity in God and his love matters is because ultimately really just kind of brings us all the way back to where we began, full circle, that our identity in God's love, it determines a healthy overflow of how we can love other people in our lives. It's a model relationship for the relationships that we have in our homes or outside of it as we live out those great commands to love God, to love one another, and to love others. The way in which we identify ourselves in God's love gives us everything we need, both in a model and the power of the Holy Spirit, to love others well. And this is so important, again, because when we skip past this, when we skip past and get into all those things, again, we wanna love other people well, of course, like who doesn't? But when we go do that in our own strength, like we're gonna go, yeah, we're gonna be great, we're gonna love God, love one another, love others. When we do that, you could say all living below this line with striving and struggling and earning, then rather than in faith and forgiveness by the grace, the mercy of God, built up and filled up by the Father's love, Our identity, 1 John 3, 1, a child of God, remember, that is what you are, that it all, again, comes crumbling down when it turns into striving versus trusting, when it comes into earning versus a natural effort that overflows out of who we already are in our identity. I think that's what just kills me about, honestly, what I've seen in so many lives uh, in the Christian faith, that so many have bailed on the faith, because, and you, you've probably had these conversations, you know, it's like, well, it was all about do this, don't do that, do this and do that, like that's what it was all about, these rules, it was all about I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I gotta do this, and they completely missed, they lived below the line, they completely missed, it's all 100% anchored in this, in the love of God. They skipped past the good news that we are loved by God, by Jesus Christ, that before we get after anything, he got after us, John three sixteen by sending his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have an eternal life, life and life to the full, both in this life and for all of eternity. I'm telling you, 
more than anything else, I promise you, digging into your identity as to who you are in God will, number one, prevent Satan from getting a foothold, defeat sin in your life, and from there, put you in a position to give you the power and the model to love and to live this life well based on this. Okay? And so getting really practical now, it's like, okay, that makes some sense, but like, how do I put this into practice? How do I actually live my life in this foundation? Well, today I want to introduce you to uh, another practice. So what we've been doing each week is we've had these uh, practices that we want to hang on this idea, this lattice work, this rule of life that we've had these seven-day challenges with. And so for the next seven days, with this idea of if it, if it works, if it's good for you, if it fits your life, or if it helps you in following Jesus, if it doesn't, don't worry about it, but if it does, then it's hopefully something that you can do all the days of your life as you create this way, this rule of life, this lattice work to lift you up out of the fray of this world and to focus on your identity as to who you are in Christ. And so that practice is, oh, spoiler alert, I'm talking too much, I need to move on to what it is, and that is centering prayer. Centering prayer. Centering prayer, it is this spiritual practice that actually comes out of the fifth century uh, desert fathers. The desert fathers were this, these group, this group of men that uh, really in response to the sin temptations and the false identities of their day, they actually retreated to the desert in order to draw closer to God. And so centering prayer is exactly, uh, you could say kind of what it sounds like. It's this idea that you really zero in on, you center in on a very specific, very kind of dead center bullseye idea, a truth, a reality, an attribute of who God is and what that means for us. And so what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean it's like a whole bunch of words. It's not like a lengthy prayer. It's actually often just a simple phrase, maybe a couple words, maybe even just one word that you pray uh, over and over and over, uh, over the course of maybe a minute or a couple minutes, and then you could return to that prayer multiple times a day. So to give us some examples of what that might look like. Uh, last week, Pastor Jonathan, he was preaching from Psalm 23, where it talks about uh, the Lord is our shepherd. And then it says later, uh, Jesus, he says in the book of John that I am the good shepherd. And so that just might be the phrase right there, good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And so you just pray that over and over, like good shepherd, good shepherd, just resting in the reality that he cares for you, that you're part of his flock, that he's watching over you. There's actually a, a, a centering prayer, you could say, that's already given to us in the book of Psalms. It's on repeat a bunch of times, and we can repeat this as well. It says that your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. So that's a prayer we can lean into, this idea that your love endures forever. Or again, it could just be simply just one word. It could just be forgiven. Forgiven. That maybe you forget that you are forgiven of the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin. And you are forgiven. You've got to be reminded of that. that that's, that's real. First John 1, 8, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us, like forgiven. So you just pray forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Other prayers might just be have mercy or set free. Or one word, just peace, peace, or hope, rest, good father, or how about home? We're gonna, we're gonna hear a song from our Arts Academy here in just a few moments, this idea like, like, like God is home, like we're at home with him. Or what about just thank you? Just thank you. You know, just to put some kind of rubber to road for this, um, you know, what, what's, the, what's the expression like, hey, like you gotta eat your own dog food? 
if you've heard that, but basically this idea, like, are you like really, like, Brian, are you doing this? Are you actually practicing this prayer that you're suggesting that we go and do? And in full honesty, I would say I came across it a number of years ago and put it into practice, and it's, it's been a while. Uh, but it, actually, interestingly, this past week, I was uh, meeting with a buddy and a friend of mine, and he just, he just gave me one of those, so, so how you doing? And it wasn't one of those, like, hey, how you doing? It was like a, like, how you doing really? Kind of how you doing? And I was, I was like, Good, I think, I don't know. Uh, and he started just kind of pointing out some observations. And he said, you know, it just feels like, you know, make, maybe you're just kind of going through the motions lately. Like, just kind of, you know. And I, was like, and I gotta be honest, I was kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't get it. And so I kind of sat with it, uh, slept on it, got up the next morning and just kind of prayed about it. It's like, you know, I, I could feel what he meant. Like, I could sense just based on kind of like the volume, uh, like, the, like the amount of some things and the kind of sus- some specific things like, okay, like there was just kind of a lot. And so, you know, the kind of the reaction or the response is just kind of put, you know, one foot in front of the other, you know, like, uh, you know, what is it? Finding Nemo, uh, Dory, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Like just, just keep moving. Just, just get one foot in front of the other, or as one might say, just keep going through the motions. And so I was challenged by that. And so just prayerfully uh, was led to Psalm 51, uh, where the, it says this, it's uh, actually the psalmist David, uh, after a whole bunch of stuff uh, in his life, I'm totally lost my notes, I'm just kind of talking, which is dangerous. Um, where is it? 10 more minutes, I'll have it. Okay, got it, Psalm 51, it says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so from that, I just grabbed this centering prayer of renew my spirit. And I started praying it. In the ancients, they would actually pray it with their breath. Like they'd breathe in, like the first syllable, the first word, and kind of breathe out the second one. So just renew my spirit. Other translations say attitude. So renew my attitude, renew my spirit. Because I knew I wanted to be, as it says in Corinthians, I don't want to be like in everything that I'm supposed to be doing, whether in my family or here or wherever. I don't want to be, it says like a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, because you don't have the love of God coming out of you. Like I, I, want, it, I want this to be authentic. You know? So God, renew a right spirit within, renew my spirit. And I can tell you, a handful of days in, like it's helping, like it's cool. Like God's Holy Spirit actually does respond to prayer and when we wash over his word and his identity for who we are, it makes a difference. And uh, even as I share that, I can just, I can just kind of feel like it's kind of like, a, okay, Brian, I guess kind of woo-woo, you know? That's a, that's a, little, a little out there maybe for some of you, this idea of, like, it sounds like kind of meditate. Like, what, is this, like, is this in the Bible? Can we do this? Yes, we can absolutely meditate on God's word and his truth in our lives. Um, but can I challenge us in maybe this, like, kind of like, well, I don't know about this, uh, of, again, the byline to this series, practices, spiritual practices for today. That today, we live in a world that involves a social media culture where at the flip of our wrist, out of our pocket, what do we do? We center on, we meditate on, repeat, dozens, hundred, maybe even thousand times a day. What do, we, what do we meditate on? Better life than me, better life than me, better life than me. More successful than me, more successful than me, more successful than me, better looking than me, more money than me, better vacations than I, and it's just on and on and on. We 
meditate and center on the things of this world. Romans 12 says that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed. It says by the renewing of our mind. And so I'd ask you, what are you renewing yourself on? Is it the patterns of this world? Or the identity of God's love in you and through you? Don't tell me we don't meditate and center in our culture today. And so I wanna invite you to maybe change a habit this week. Uh, If you're familiar with how habit formation works, every habit, they've kind of boiled it down uh, to this idea of every habit is a cue, like something cues you, like a ding or something, a cue, the habit, and then a reward. So the cue, habit, the reward, which let's be honest, it's not that rewarding of an experience that we're finding in the realities of our world. So I wanna invite you this week, next seven days, to grab maybe a a word or a phrase to center on, to pray into the reality of who you are, to ask God's Holy Spirit to just awaken you to this truth of who you are that informs what you do. Uh, And to give you kind of an opportunity with that, we're gonna give you a repetition right here to just in the next minute or so, just maybe grab one of these phrases, good shepherd, your love endures forever, whatever. Maybe you have your own word or phrase that you want to to pray about. And I just wanna give you a minute just to to kind of try that on, to give it a run uh, here and then with the invitation, of course, to do that over the next seven days. Then following that, you're gonna have the Arts Academy. They're gonna come out and they're just gonna just sing this reminder of the reality of how we are at home in our identity of God's love. And so I'll start us off, then I'm gonna let you uh, have some time, this between you and the Lord, to center in on your identity as to who you are based on the love foundation that he has for your life. And so with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we're thankful for your word that gives us the words to pray. We don't know what we need, you know what we need, and so we seek you. And so God, forgive us for forsaking your word that's right there for us, 24-7 hours, 24-7 for the things of this world. God, we wanna be conformed. We wanna be renewed to you, not the patterns of this world. And so, Father, in this moment, may we center in on who we are, and even as we get distracted, I mean, this is very difficult, especially for the ADD among us, um, but God, we know that even if there's a thousand distractions, we're distracted a thousand times even over the course of this next minute, that the beauty of that, that's just a thousand opportunities just to come back to you, come back home, come back to you, Jesus. And so God, keep drawing us back into who we are based on the love and the reality that we are your sons, your daughters, that we are children of God because that, according to your word, is exactly what we are. We thank you for it. And so with that, Lord, hear our prayer.